You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our senior pastor, Jeremy Havlin. This morning, we're going to continue our series that we've been in. By the way, if you don't know, Matt and Ashley, and Matt normally is the one who teaches here, he's actually teaching in Simpsonville this morning. So we did a switcheroo, which is exciting. But uh, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 17 this morning. I'm going to share a message that I feel like the Lord laid on my heart, and it's a simple one, and yet at the same time could impact your life in significant ways. A quick survey as you're turning to Matthew chapter 17. Who grew up in church? Anybody grow up in church? So a lot of us, but not everybody. If you grew up in church, and I don't know what kind of church you grew up in or the environment that it was, but, but my growing up, my parents were missionaries and we traveled a ton and I've worshiped God in lots of different countries and cultural contexts, but the, the background of my parents was charismatic. So I grew up in a charismatic type environment, but I went to private Baptist missionary schools. And so I've been in all kinds of different environments and in situations growing up. And this issue of faith, which is what we're going to talk about this morning, in fact, the title of the message is Mustard Seed Faith. If you grew up in the church, you may have had to kind of figure out, well, well what is faith and, and, how, and how do you use faith and how does faith work in your life? It's a significant thing that impacts all of us in this room because what you believe impacts how you behave. What you think here impacts the decisions that you make. That's why it really, really matters to think on the right things and let your mind be renewed. Why? Because if your mind's not renewed, the decisions that you make are going to cause you to go down wrong paths. So faith is something that impacts how we live and our futures, and it's a really, really big deal. And so this issue of faith is what we're going to talk about this morning. But having grown up in all these different environments, how do you, what do you, how do you see faith? What do you think about faith and how does that impact who you are and, and so on? And so faith is a big deal. And in the charismatic world, faith is a huge deal. I mean, because you, you believe God for these great things. And so I want to share with you guys things that have helped me navigate this issue of faith and things that have had a big impact on me. And we're going to get to Matthew 17 in a second, but let me ask another uh, survey question. This is the last one I'll do for this morning, but have you ever gone to fix something in your house or in your car and you didn't know how to do it, but you're like, I bet there's a video on YouTube. Anybody watch a YouTube video to fix something? Talk to me. I am not handy at all. In fact, I, I've learned how to become handier in time. But like if I open up the engine of a car, all I can do is pray over it and squirt it with oil and cast demons out. I can't, I'm not mechanically inclined. I, some people just have a gift for fixing things. I don't have it. Whenever my wife sees me wanting to fix something around the house, her immediate response is, let's hire somebody, please. It's cheaper to pay someone else to do it right than to have you jack up our house and then pay someone to come fix it. I'm just not naturally wired, but I have learned that there's a video on YouTube that will teach you all the things. And it's been so helpful. I, I, last year when we had the big freeze that came into Greenville around Christmas, um, our fridge stopped working with the water because in the freeze, the, the mechanism apparently in the back of the fridge got frozen and even when it thawed out, it just stopped working. And our kids live on several things. They live on Wi-Fi and they live on ice. For some reason in our home, ice is like a preeminent thing. 
So the moment that the eye stopped working in the freezer, you would have thought it was like the fourth horseman of the apocalypse in Revelation. I was like, what is happening? They're like, where's the ice, Dad? Don't you love us? I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I'm like, okay, let's fix it. Random fridge, pulled it out. I'm like, how do I even begin to do this? You know what? YouTube. Sure enough, our fridge, there's a video. We ordered the part based on watching the video on YouTube. When it came to install it, I installed it. And I want you to know it's been a year and it's working flawlessly. I did a good job. Yes, thank you. I know. It's a big deal. YouTube. And it's interesting that these things in life that you don't know how to do, you can go to a video and someone can explain it step by step and say, here, do this, do this, do this. And the reason I bring this up is because when we open up the gospel of Matthew, here Jesus is teaching us, telling us how to do life. This is how you're to do life. This is how you're to love your enemies. This is how you're to pray. This is how you're to engage in the world around you. And this is what the Bible says about Jesus. The Bible calls Jesus the visible image of an invisible God. We come together, we worship God. Guess what? We can't see him. So what is God like? The Bible says, look at Jesus, and that tells you what God is like. And he's not just anybody, the Bible says, that he created everything, that he created the world that we live in, and he's so significant, and he's so much more. He created you. When you were in your mother's womb, you were formed and fashioned and knit. He's not just anybody. And so it's not like just going to a YouTube video where someone's instructing you how to change a part out in the fridge. This is the creator of everything when we open up the gospels and he's instructing us and teaching us. There's, There's some weight to it and it's incredible. This largeness and amazingness of who God is. I'm fascinated by, sometimes I think, We can hear stories over and over again without realizing where the story is coming from or where the lesson is coming from. Today, the lesson about faith comes from the creator of all things. The creator of all things. The world you and I live in, made by him, spoken into existence. When I was younger, teenage years, we were living in the country of Chile, which is a a thin noodle country in South America. Probably one of my favorite countries I've ever lived in. Gorgeous. It's got the Patagonia in the south. It's got beaches. It's got mountains. And it has desert in the north. And the desert in the north, it's the driest desert in the world. People don't know that. It's actually in southern Peru, northern Chile. It's called the Atacama Desert. And I got a chance as a teenager to go to an observatory. It wasn't on my teenager bucket list. If you're a teenager, you're not like, hey, I want to go to an observatory. But doors opened up. Let me show you a picture of the observatory in Chile. It's beautiful. And it happens to be that in the country we lived in, in Chile, this is northern, we went up to see it, beautiful, gorgeous observatory. They placed it here because there's so little rainfall, but yet at night, there's almost no light pollution. And when you look up at the sky, you can see the vastness of creation that God made. Let me show you an image that the observatory captured way deep into space. And can you imagine, I mean, you can't even begin to wrap your mind around the, the unbelievable numbers at play here. I mean, there, there's, I mean, we can't even, we don't even know how many galaxies there are. We can't even put and try and imagine how many stars are out there. I mean, it's just, it's incredible numbers. And yet the Atacama Desert, where I got a chance to visit, 
if you just stand there, even without an observatory, the night sky is so beautiful that you can actually see our Milky Way, this galaxy that we live in with your naked eye. Let me show you a picture of just standing outside and what it looks like. It's gorgeous. And that right there is our Milky Way, the galaxy that you and I call home. And I want you to think about this, the, the, the grandeur the one who spoke this into existence, he wants to tell you how to live, how to think and what to process and how to go about it. This, this is kind of, this next part's a little bit random, but someone decided to build a sculpture in the middle of the desert. So someone built a giant hand out there. It's really random. I want to show it to you. It's the hand in the middle. You could visit this if you want. The most random sculpture in the middle of nowhere, but at night, what it looks like is absolutely incredible. My point is, is as we open up this word and we get a chance to talk it through, we have the creator of all things. He cares about you and he's gonna tell you, hey, this is the way I want you to think. This is how I want you to process. This is how I want you to live. It's got weight to it. It's got significance to us. And faith is something that impacts all of us because we've all wrestled with our faith. We've all wondered, God, where are you? We've all questioned, how come I don't understand what you're doing in the moment? And faith is something that all of us have wrestled with. Sometimes we've even had to borrow other people's faith because we didn't have the faith for it. So where we fall in our faith journey is significant to God. Now, before we get to Matthew 17, let's look at two other passages of scripture. The first is the one that is Hebrews 11. We know it's a faith passage and it's incredible. And God's word says this in Hebrews 11, now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the insurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then down to verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith is the evidence of things that you can't see. You can't see God, and yet you believe in God. And then it says this, without faith, it is actually impossible to please God. You can be a good moral person, but if you don't have faith, you're not gonna be able to please God. So this issue of faith is fundamental to every single one of us. And how we view faith and what faith is is so significant. Here's another verse. This is much shorter. And if you want to memorize a passage of scripture, this is a good one to memorize. I know you've already memorized Jesus wept. Here's another one. Ready? For we live by faith, not by sight. Most people in this room, you have a smartphone in your pocket or you're looking at it or in your purse. And when you get a smartphone, you get the actual phone, the hardware. And what happens with the smartphone is one of the very first things is you have to do an update. Isn't that annoying? You get the phone and you immediately have to wait for an update. Well, what happens is the software has to write itself on the hardware. And the way that God wants us to work is that he wants us to think differently about things. Now, all of us people, individuals, our default setting, the hardware that are, is in us, is to make decisions based on what we see. Of course, we're going to make decisions based on what we see. If you're, if you're going to jump in the ocean and you see a bunch of sharks circling about, you're not going to jump in the ocean. That's a bad decision. What were you thinking? What you see informs the things that you should think you should do. For example, when I see a Boston cream donut, 
and it's got the chocolate-covered glaze. And I know that the custard inside of there has been anointed by God. And angels are singing in the background. And when I see that donut, or when I drive by Krispy Kreme and that light is on that says, hot and fresh, glory to God. And I know that you can go in there, you can eat six hot and fresh donuts and it's like nothing. You're like, ah, ah, ah. what I see informs my decisions. And what you just finished reading in Corinthians, it says that you and I are meant to not make decisions based on what we see. In other words, how we live should be based by faith, not what we see. And so we have to have this new software downloaded into how we think about things. And this is not a small deal. And then this tension comes in our life. You know what the tension is? When it comes to us trusting God, what we want is we want God to prove himself. All of us in this room, God, prove to me how you're gonna do this. Show me how you're gonna do this. And if God can show us how he's gonna do it, then we're like, oh, I trust you, God, that's great. I have never heard God explain to me how he's gonna do things. The tension is we want God to prove himself so that we can trust him. You know what God says? Trust me so that I can prove myself. And it's a very different way of thinking, but that tension is, is real. We want, to, we want God to prove himself so that we can then trust him. God wants us to trust him so that he can then prove himself. And when it comes to faith, sometimes God's gonna ask you to do things that make no sense based on what you see. It's contrary to logic. And yet if you're willing to live by faith, it can impact everyone around you and you to a way that you never thought possible. Because you are meant to follow a God who you cannot see and wants to lead you in your everyday life. It takes faith to do that. There's a lot of good moral people out there who believe in God, but there's few people out there who are willing to actually follow him. And you cannot follow God unless you have faith. Faith is crucial to this. And sometimes, again, God's gonna ask you to do things that make no sense based on what you see. Well, my wife and I, we lived in Nicaragua for five years. Two of our three kids were born in Nicaragua. Now, Nicaragua is a country in Central America, very impoverished, very broken, and God sent us there with a desire to reach kids. And when we moved to Nicaragua, we thought, how can we have an outreach ministry that opens its doors and all of these kids come into church? And when we moved there, God opened up incredible doors and we opened up our doors and we saw on, uh, when we did our ministry, hundreds of kids come coming to our services. We saw so many kids give their life to Christ. We saw door after door, God began to open. But running a nonprofit organization, for those in here who do, is not easy. It's, it's hard, because you gotta do this one thing, it's called raise funds. It's the worst. And we found ourselves living in Nicaragua, having all these kids, but needing to raise our funds in the US. And I remember it was the fall of 2011. Our ministry had been around for two years. We saw God do incredible things. And I'm in charge of our ministry. I started our ministry. I founded our ministry. I knew how much it cost to run our ministry. And it's the fall of 2011 and our bank account begins to go down and down and down. And I look and I realize we have just enough money to survive a month and a half, almost two months. And that's on me. I have Nicaraguan employees. I have other missionaries who are working with us. I have these kids who are coming to our services. And I think to myself, man, Lord, how are we gonna make it to the end of this year? We don't have enough money. What are we gonna do? And in the middle of that time when our money was running down and I wasn't sure what we were gonna do, 
our property where we, where we had this outreach to kids. It was this incredible facility. Awesome, right across the street from a park. Well, there was a house that was right next to that that was owned by another church. And before they put it for sale, they asked us, they said, hey, do you guys wanna buy this house next to us? Now, when they asked us this, it's when I was looking at our bank account and realized that we didn't have enough money to end the year. And when they asked us, hey, do you wanna buy the house so that you can do more ministry? I was like, there's no way this is gonna be possible. It would be really cool, but it's not gonna happen. And I went to pray before God and I began to ask God what he wanted us to do. And you guessed it, he said, buy the house. And it wasn't a lot of money. The house, they were gonna sell it for like $30,000 and then we were gonna need to put money to fix it up. Now I know $30,000 doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you have no money, it's a lot of money. And I'm like, Lord, we don't have enough money to finish the year off. He's like, buy the house. I said, but Lord, have you ever just, have you ever gotten to the but Lord argument? He tells you something, you're like, but Lord. He's like, buy the house. So I go to the church and I feel like an idiot. And I'm like, listen, we are committing to buying the house from you guys. We'll do it. This is in the fall of 2011. I said, in the beginning of 2012, we'll get together at the table. We'll sign the papers and we'll give you all the money in cash. He's like, that sounds awesome. I walked away from that meeting being like, I'm a moron. Like I just told him we're gonna buy it. Like, Lord, it, was con- it made zero sense. And then what's even worse is a church got wind, hey, we're gonna buy this house. And they're like, hey, we wanna send a team down from the US to help fix up the house. I said, that's great. All of a sudden, something gonna move and men in the US were signing up to come down to fix a house. Nobody knew I didn't have a dime to pay for the house. Do you know what it would have been like to have a bunch of dudes show up to wanna work and be like, hey, sorry, thanks for coming. We're not gone well. I go to my prayer closet, God, don't you see? God, don't you see? And by the way, the money didn't just shoot up right away. Money went and began to go down. And not only was I committed to try and getting our nonprofit to make it, but I'm like, now I've committed to buying a house? This is nuts. So we did an online campaign where we began to raise money. And God did what only God can do. Word began to spread. We got so much money that came in in that time, that not only were we able to continue our ministry moving forward, We paid for the house in cash. We put $15,000 to fix up the house and then we had money left over. When that February came and I remember when I signed the papers and we got the house and God's like, Jeremy, if you only make decisions based on what you see is good, that means you're only making decisions on based on what you think is best. The reason why God wants you to walk by faith and not by sight is because he knows the beginning from the end. Wouldn't you rather talk to someone who knows how it's all gonna play out? Wouldn't you rather that the someone who knows what's gonna happen this year speaks to you about your family? You see, when he tells you what to do, he tells you what to do from a perspective of knowing everything. When you make a decision, you make it from a perspective of what you see, but what you see changes, how you feel changes based on the moment or in the mood that you're in. So if you live by what you see, you're only ever gonna be you that's leading your life and it's always gonna be limited. But if you can wrap your mind around what the Bible tells you, walk by faith, not by sight, then maybe you're gonna make decisions that go against what makes sense in the moment, but makes sense later. Because God is good. So how do you make decisions and how do you live? And what is faith? It's It's not a small deal. What you believe impacts the decisions that you make. It impacts how you live.
So, Matthew chapter 17. The verses are not going to be on the screen, so if you want to follow along, please get it in your own Bible. Beginning in verse 14, here's a moment where Jesus is teaching us about faith. God's word says this in verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. By the way, those, of, those who are parents, grandparents even, there's one thing when, when we experience pain. What's harder than when we experience pain is when our kids experience pain. She could almost hear this father agonizing over just the pain. It's just, it's so difficult. Verse 16. I'm reading from the NIV, by the way. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Here's Jesus' response. You unbelieving and perverse generation. Isn't he encouraging? Do you feel encouraged? Sometimes people are like, well, Jesus is just a good teacher. Sometimes actually listen to the things that Jesus said. I mean, he said some incredible things. A father brings us up and Jesus' response is to call the generation perverse. He says this, how long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. By the way, the disciples, I mean, think about how good the Bible is. One of the reasons why I believe the Bible is real is because it shows us all of its heroes as they were. The disciples didn't have the faith. Jesus calls them out. They don't pretend to be superheroes. They show them as real people in real situations. They didn't have the faith for it. Because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. And the last little section that we just finished reading is what we're gonna focus in on. Jesus says, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move, and it's gonna move. I'm a fan of history. I know not everyone else is, but I, I love history and I love cultural and context. And there's something about this story which I find beautiful. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, and I know maybe that won't be for a little while, but I've had the privilege of going to Israel. You get a chance to visit a lot of sites that you see come to life in scripture. Now, in Jesus's time, there was someone, he was known as Herod the Great. He wasn't Herod the Great because he was a good guy. Herod the Great was an awful human. He did awful things. He was known as Herod the Great because he built incredible structures. He built Masada. He built this incredible port that allowed ships to come in to be safe. And then he built a place called Herodium after himself. He's a good guy. He's Herod the Great. Anyway, what Herod the Great did was he wanted to build a structure right outside of Jerusalem, and it wanted, he wanted it to be the tallest structure that you could see because he wanted to be safe, and he wanted to be able to look out at the people and remind them of who was in charge. And so what Herod did in building Herodium was there was two hills. Herod looked at the two hills and decided for himself which one he wanted to do. So he found the hill that he wanted to do and what he did is he used forced labor to actually move one of the hills to lower it and then to do the other hill much higher so that 
he would actually build a mountain and on top of the mountain, he would build his fortress that he would be able to see. So what Herod actually does is he moves a mountain to place his home there. It's fascinating. I'll show you a picture of what Herodium looks like today. It's, if you can get a chance to visit it. Forced labor moved a mountain. Now, I, I, I can't prove this next point, but I wonder deeply if this is the case. After Jesus heals this boy, and after he's talking with his disciples, and they say, how come we couldn't do this? I wonder if Jesus looks at him and says, if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed, and in the background, I believe Herodium could have been there, then, he, then Jesus said, you would have the faith to tell this mountain to move, and it would move. They would literally have been looking at a mountain that had been moved. Now, I can't prove that, but I believe that that is true. I believe that that's what we're seeing here. Regardless, though, of that is this. Jesus says, if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed. So here's, here's a faith statement I want to free with you when it comes to how do we navigate faith. It's made a huge difference in my life. It's simple and yet really important. Ready? It's not the greatness of our faith that moves mountains. So let me pause there for a second. Obviously, you're reading the second half of that. What moves mountains is actually the greatness of God. This is massively important because the disciples, they didn't have faith. So what does Jesus do? He said, if you only had faith as small as a mustard seed. Now in our life, what tends to happen is when we need God to move, we think, okay, my faith has to be big enough. Now, now theologically, what I'm gonna say next, please don't be offended or send me an email. When I was a kid, this is how I viewed it in church. This is how I viewed the Trinity when I was a kid. I viewed God the Father kind of like Santa Claus, and I viewed Jesus a little bit like a hippie, like he's just peace and love. And then I viewed the Holy Spirit, and again, don't send me an email. I viewed the Holy Spirit like the force in Star Wars. Because the force in Star Wars, and this is a kid just growing up, this is how I mentally, as a kid, this is how I processed it. You, you watch the movie Star Wars and it's like, yeah, the force, move it with the force. And the lightsaber moves across the room with the force. And in a lot of ways, I connected, well, is faith like that? You have to have faith big enough for it? You have to have faith strong enough for it? And growing up in different environments, how do we view faith? Is it our faith that changes things? After all, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the thing that's freed me up tremendously is this, and I want to free you up in your faith journey. Ready? It's not how good your faith is that moves mountains. It's not how good you are that moves mountains. What moves mountains is God. It's him. You don't pray in your name, you pray in his name. What changes a marriage is God. What, what, what restores your finances can be God. What makes a way in your life is God. You see, the thing that's supernatural is God himself and he's the one who transforms and he's the one who is big and he's the one who is good. And what Jesus is communicating to his disciples, to his followers, he says very simply, if your faith could be as small as a mustard seed, it's not how big your faith is that changes things, it's how good God is that changes things. And my, my, my hope for you is that in your own faith journey that you would realize, listen, because sometimes we think God's not gonna answer my prayer because I don't have enough faith. And we know how we are, how we process stuff. It is not the greatness of your faith that changes things. It's the greatness of God. That's what changes things. And then if you can believe that God is who he says he is, if you can trust in him and hope in him and say, I'm gonna walk by faith and not by sight, I'm gonna trust that God is good and you believe in him, then you begin to see God begin to work. But faith is not based on who you are. Faith is based on how good God is. And if you can have the faith of a mustard seed. So step one is to realize that it's not you, it's him. 
Step two is what do you really believe about God? I'm gonna give you my faith foundation. And this may be something that helps you. But faith ultimately peels back the layers on what do you really, really believe. And this is the conclusion that I've come to when it comes to faith, ready? Faith is not pretending. Faith is not wishing upon a star. Faith is trusting that God is good regardless of what you see. That's what faith is. And a world that is changing around us constantly and continually, where do you actually plant your feet on firm ground? Do you actually believe that God is good? And it is amazing the amount of times in our life that we don't see God in the moment, but we look back in our rearview mirror and we see God working the entire time. So what we have to do is understand that if we're gonna have faith, we have to trust that God is good regardless of what we see. And it doesn't always make sense in the moment, but God, I may not see you, I may not understand everything. By the way, you don't have to understand everything in order to believe that he is good. In fact, oftentimes what's gonna happen is you're gonna have to believe that God is good and then eventually you're gonna begin to see it. I, I, faith is never pretending. Sometimes I think we have to, like, do I wish upon a star? Do I hope for the best? Okay, I'm gonna hope for the best. God, where are you? No, faith is, sometimes things are very, very bad. You get a cancer diagnosis, that's bad. Marriage falls apart, that's bad. Your kid wanders away from the Lord, that's hard. God never wants you to pretend ever, ever, ever. What God does want is for you to trust that he is good no matter what you see and find your hope in him. That's what faith is. God, I trust in you. I'm not gonna be moved. I'm not gonna be shaken. God, I trust in you. And that's why when someone who, by the way, has a deep faith in God and he is good, when they get a cancer diagnosis, what they say is, I may not understand it, but I'm gonna trust God that you're with me in this. Because it's that trusting that God is good that makes all the difference. And so it's how we learn to live by faith and not by sight. And so if we, but here's the question. If we're meant to trust that God is good, but we can't see him, how in the world is God gonna lead us? How does he lead us in our everyday life? That's a real question. How does God lead us? It's a great question, by the way. Let me answer it with a passage of scripture. John 10, 27, 28. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. So how does God lead you and how does God lead me? He leads us with his voice, his word. And Jesus made it plain. You can hear God's voice in your life. So we're not led by what we see. We're led by how he speaks, which is why his word is everything. And I have seen this play out over and over and over again. And by the way, one of the reasons why you may not be seeing God move is because you're not in his word. You're, you're doing your life and hoping that God comes alongside of it to rescue you out of situations. If you wanna see God move, get into his word and say, God, what is it you're doing? And how can I, be, how can I see what you're doing, God? And God will begin to speak to you and move in your life. I've had the privilege of watching my parents. I'm 43 years old of watching my parents for the entirety of my life follow God based on what God has said to them and then be obedient to that. And I've seen God do incredible things as a result. I'll just, I'll say this. So when I was in high school, we were living in Northern Virginia. Actually, Nathan Gamble right here, I knew him from back in the day. Northern Virginia, boom, boom. He does the graphics and stuff here at the church and has been a huge blessing to us. But I graduated high school from Northern Virginia and went off to college. And when I went off to college, my parents sat me down and they said, Jeremy, we believe that God is calling us back to the mission field. 
I said, that's great. Where are you guys going? Nicaragua. I had never been to Nicaragua. And I said, how did you guys get to the conclusion that you're going to go to Nicaragua? And my mom told me this. She goes, well, I was reading God's word and I was in Luke chapter five. And she said it very clearly. She goes, and in Luke chapter five, when I was reading in verse four, this is the verse that she read. She read, and when he had finished speaking, that was talking about Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And she said, when I read that verse, I felt God speak to me to move back overseas, to go into the deep waters and to let my nets down to see what he would do. And I knew that God was calling me to go. And I can't escape it. I said, that's awesome. My parents moved to Nicaragua, living in the capital city, million and a half people. Someone invites my mom to come to a Bible study at the church and she goes and she starts leading the Bible study and it's not any Bible study, it's a Bible study of women who were in prostitution. Can you imagine leading that Bible study? These are women who are in a city that is so broken and they're in prostitution and my mom starts leading a Bible study and as she's leading the Bible study, she begins telling them about Jesus and how God's transforming. And as she's in there and she remembered Luke chapter five, put your nets into the deep water. As she's doing that Bible study, she's like, we can do more. And it went from 10 women to 20 women to 50 women. All of a sudden, these women start coming to this Bible study and my mom begins to say, wait a second, we can even do more than just a Bible study. Then she begins to say, God, what else do you wanna do? And so my mom says, what if these women can make things and I can sell the things in the States, I can give the ladies the money so that they don't have to go back to this life that they were in. So they start making things and women come out of nowhere to get out of this lifestyle because they don't want to be in it. And they hear about Jesus who wants to change them and change their families. So women start making things and all of a sudden they realize they can earn an income other than what they were doing. And it goes from a hundred women, then they buy like 10 acres of land and they start building houses and literally entire families are being changed because when the mom moves out to the property to get out of where she was in, she brings all of her kids with her. And her kids, who had many of them never been to school, start going to school, learning how to read and write for the first time ever. And I'm watching literally hundreds and hundreds of women be transformed. And it all came back to Luke chapter five, verse four, go into the deep parts and put down your nets for a catch. And then I watch literally generations of women and then their kids and their families, the cycle of abuse be broken. And you have no young girls and then God opens a door for House of Hope to be in not just Nicaragua, but Honduras and then in Bolivia. And then just a couple of months ago, my mom literally rescued an 11-year-old girl out of it. And the root of all of that, where does it come down to? Because somewhere God speaks in a still small voice and she's reading scripture. My point is, is that what would your life be like or my life be like if we stopped being, making all the decisions based on what we see, but God's word speaks to us. We walk by faith, not by sight. That's what Jesus wants us to do and who he wants us to be. And it's his awesomeness that changes things. It's his goodness that changes things. And it's not just for ministry, it can be for life. In 2018, my parents called me up and said, Jeremy, we feel like we're supposed to move back to the States. 
mom's gonna continue to do House of Hope and fly back and forth to the different countries, but my dad and my mom felt like God's calling us to leave Nicaragua. They had been there for 20 years. I said, okay, that, that's completely understand. So they pack up their stuff, they sell a lot of their stuff, they give away a lot of their stuff, and they buy tickets on the airplane to be able to fly back to the States to live. They're like, I think we're gonna live in Greenville, South Carolina. That's where my kids are, that's where their grandkids are, which grandkids have a powerful effect on parents, grandparents. The week that my parents were flying back to the States in Nicaragua, the country just blew up politically. And they started having riots in the streets. People were starting to get murdered. Incredibly, it was a tumultuous and difficult time. My parents called me and said, we don't know if we can make it to the airport. It's so dangerous. You will not convince me in a thousand years. By the way, do you know how hard it is to buy a plane ticket when a country goes up like that? You can't do it. My parents already had their plane ticket. It was all set. And they fly back to the States. And by the way, my mom's in Nicaragua right now. She flies back tonight and just goes back and forth. And then my dad gets really, really sick. And if my dad would have gotten really, really sick in Nicaragua, he would have died because they didn't have the medical treatment for him. So my dad gets really, really sick and he survives because he's in the US. And then, I'm just telling you how good this still small voice of God is. My wife and I, in 2018, the same year my parents were moving back to the States, we're on a date in downtown Fountain Inn. We weren't planning on buying a house. And I see a house for sale and I'm like, oh, I wanna check it out. And it's a property in Fountain Inn that has two houses on it. And the desire of my heart was always to take care of my parents because they don't have a retirement and I've watched them live a life of faith. I wanted to make sure that they were okay. So here I am looking at a house in Fountain Inn that has two, our property has two houses on it. I'm like, my parents can live right next to us. My wife's like, really? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they get along great actually. And, and we lived together. We were in Nicaragua while they were in Nicaragua, which is really cool. So we made an offer on the house in 2018. My parents moved back in 2018. My parents are living in mission houses because my mom can't do steps and the bedrooms of the house that, that they would live in is upstairs. So they're like, what if we build a downstairs bedroom and add on? And I'm like, that's great. I'm like, I don't have the money for that. Do you guys? They're like, yeah, they borrowed money from my grandma basically. They added a downstairs master bedroom and a downstairs master bathroom so my mom wouldn't have to do stairs. And the week that COVID closed everything down in the world, they finished the project for my parents' house. And you will never convince me in a million years that the week that my parents flew back to the States, Nicaragua went up in flames, and that the week that the world shut everything down was the very week my parents moved into our house. And they've been living there since. Why? Because God is good, and he leads and speaks in a still, small voice. My point is, is how does he want to lead you? What does he want to say to you? And do you, you don't have to have incredible faith. You have to have small faith in an incredible God. And if you can do that and be obedient to that, it might change so many things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, there is no one who is like you. I thank you for everyone in here today, this afternoon, this morning. I, just, I sense, Lord, and I, and, and I don't know their stories, but you do. I sense, Lord, that there are people facing decisions in this room that they have to navigate through. And how they go about deciding is gonna be vitally important to where they end up in life. I pray, God, that before they decide, they wouldn't make a decision based on what they see, they would make a decision based on what you say. 
because God, you lead. You are the good shepherd who speaks. And when you do, may we have the faith to trust that you are good regardless of what we see. And may we live by faith and not by sight. And in that God, in that faith, it doesn't even have to be big faith. It can be small, but it can be in you a big God that you would transform, move, and change. That we would be willing to do things your way. To walk by faith and not by sight. To see you work. We love you, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.